Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind for tuning in once again to a little thing we like to call the On Blast Podcast. As always, my name is Sean Alexander, and I'm joined by my guy, Andrew Webster. Webby, what is good? What is up, Sheldon? We are just living that quarantine life. Uh, sun came out here in Calgary uh, the other day, so it's like 20 degrees out here. Sun is shining, and you can't go for a patio beer anywhere except on your back patio. Uh, that's back basically patio. what we're doing. But, mm-hmm. Sheldon, yes. we're going to have actual sporting things this week. The NFL draft is on Thursday. Ah, yes. I mean, I can't. I'm very excited. I can't lie to you. I was watching the WNBA draft, and I've watched the WNBA <laughs> first off, so that's a thing. Like, even in hey, normal no, times, of I course. work with the WNBA. So I was watching the WNBA draft last week, and I was just amazed at how dope the production was, like, in these times where, like, obviously it's not normal production for ESPN. Everyone's at home. Right, the commissioners at their house, all the players are at their house with their families. But it was smooth sailing, like the way that they were able to operate that draft, and it was just a precursor, obviously, to the NFL draft and a good test run for everyone involved. So that was cool to see, and yeah, I'm excited for the NFL draft. Well, my my fingers are crossed that it does not go that smoothly, because I want to see these uh, 32 GMs just absolutely crap themselves with how to deal with this new technology and i want to see people have to forfeit picks if they can't get them in on time i just want chaos for this nfl draft i can't wait well yeah the nfl draft is one thing obviously on the docket that everybody will be talking about this week but there's another thing that the world the sports world but I'd say the world is the, the the ratings came out for ESPN anyways. Six million people tuned in to watch the very first episode of the Michael Jordan documentary on ESPN, The Last Dance. Episodes one and two hit the airwaves. And I don't know when you add in the times that we're in, has there been anything more highly anticipated than this in recent memory? Right? Like when you add in the times I mean- and everyone's sitting around? Not, not in like the kind of like cultural like zeitgeist that we're in right now. Like people on 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 the Saturday were like, "Oh, what Jordans am I going to wear to watch this show in front of my TV or my computer?" It's like, but man, and this is something that I mean. You and I grew up in a similar age, mm-hmm. and like as Jordan fans, is like the one guy really, that everybody can point to that got us into NBA basketball, even college basketball, as a result sure. of the love of NBA. We, everybody was just, we couldn't wait for this. Like, this is, and you know what's awesome, too, is that, like, for that first two hours, I feel that it definitely delivered. I was not worried about the hype not being able to live up to, because look at Michael Jordan's career. Mm-hmm. Every time the pressure was on, every time he needed to come up with a big basket or a win, he did it. And why would this documentary be any different? You know what's so crazy about what you just said? I was kind of in the same realm where there are parts of me that was like, wait, is this going to live up to the hype? Because it's Michael Jordan. And of course, we're going to all want to love it because it's MJ. And that's our dude, if you're of a certain age. But also, was it going to live up to the hype just in terms of ESPN tells such great stories all the time? And it's not like they have letdowns. But this is definitely one that it's like, yo, don't fuck this up. 
right? But the the hype right. machine was there, and even just through the first two episodes, like we're gonna di- deep dive into it and what we liked, what we didn't like, all that stuff. But just the way the first two episodes, they were able to tell you the full story, like tell you, okay, we're setting up the time and place. It's 1997. They just won the fifth chip, and shit's about to hit the fan. Are they gonna blow it up? Are they all going to come back? Like they're setting the scene right ahead of the start of the next year, but also how they were able to, to put you in that time and place, but then also weave back into MJ's life in childhood and high school. And then did the same thing with Scotty in the second episode. Like it was so perfectly well done to tell all those different stories while still bringing it back to the main feature of the last dance. Like I was so impressed by how well they're able to do that just through the first two episodes. Right. And if they're able to keep that up, Oh man, this is going to be amazing. No, it's an incredible way to frame the story of Jordan and his career is through that season. Mm -hmm. And just because not only was it so compelling in terms of the storylines that were going on, mm-hmm. but that's when they had all that, they had that full year of footage yeah. of following Jordan around from before the season started to its culmination. And I thought, I agree with you, like the the framing of the story of going back in time and then even with Scotty's story as well, yeah. and then going back through that timeline was really, I that was the thing that I was a little hesitant about because... I really love the OJ documentary and the OJ documentary was very much a linear, linear story. Yeah. Like, okay, this is wh- what OJ's life was like when he was growing up. Now we're going to get into racial politics of Los Angeles before this happened. So I really like that linear, linear style of storytelling for the documentary. But I thought that this was a real risk for them to take. But I thought, especially in the first two episodes, it worked out really well. Yeah. Because even, like, in the first episode, they introduce you to everyone, right? Like, here's MJ, here's Scotty, here's Phil, here's Rodman, here's a little bit of what's going on with all of them, right? They tease you a little bit of it, right? Mm-hmm. And Krauss, obviously, which we'll get into, who's a major factor, who's who uh, we'll talk about for sure. But I love that, before we get into the episode, though, of uh, The Last Dance, I love that you brought up the OJ doc. Because to me, before we start, I kind of wanted to talk about how we got to this point to where this documentary was a thing. Because I think that story was super interesting. I don't know if you saw Ramona Shelburne had an article that I think she dropped on Saturday. And like that was the thing that got me super excited after reading this story. Because there's just so many little intricate details that like basketball heads or basketball nerds like us will really appreciate. So like the first thing was that the person who put this on who like filmed the whole thing and whose idea it was, was Clay Thompson's uncle. Did you know that? <laughs> like that's yeah, so yeah. weird. Michael Thompson's brother. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, who worked for Andy the NBA. And, yeah. and just to have that like simple idea of like uh, guys like going to the NBA and being like, um, we have the biggest star on the planet. Like maybe we should follow him around for a year. Like yeah. we can at least get, but like the money that was behind all that, because like to get to, uh, I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast today and he was talking about there was a DVD yes. and there was a DVD floating around and it was that it was <laughs> the footage that had been edited down to maybe like two, three hours. Like I remember, well, I'll tell you, this will kind of date me how old I am, but like before South Park came out, mm-hmm. the cartoon, yeah. there was the tape of like their 
first like episode before it even came on air. Okay. And my buddy had a copy. Okay. And it was like, you put that in, you're like, oh, this is going to be a big deal. Like, I can't believe I'm seeing this before it's even going to blow up. I can't imagine seeing that Jordan footage, like, before it became to what we're watching yeah. now. Because I'm sure there's, like, some crazy warts in there of him going off. Right? Like, it's so incredible. So, as the story goes, this guy, Andy Thompson, Clay's uncle... Worked for NBA, he was a producer at NBA Entertainment back in the day. And so he would also be like going around and shooting things because they really looked at NBA Entertainment as a way to archive their stories, right? So on the side, my guy had done some home videos for MJ and his family like already. So he already had kind of a relationship by the time they floated this idea. And he went to his boss and who was in charge of NBA Entertainment at the time? I was just going to say, do you know who was running NBA Entertainment at that time? Of course, it was Adam Silver. Of course. Nosferatu himself. Of course, right? Adam Silver. And it's just so cool how those stories intertwine. So Adam Silver says, yep, for sure. Let's go to uh, Reinsdorf with it. Reinsdorf says, if you can convince Phil and Mike, then we're in. No problem. Phil's like, Phil understood it and got it right away. Phil's like, I'm in. And then Mike, they had this like great negotiation where Silver's like, well, actually, Silver said it wasn't a negotiation. He was just kind of telling him that, listen, there'll be a negotiation when we need to have one, but we're going to shoot it. We need to get the footage first. We can negotiate all the details later, but yeah. we'll, we'll shoot it and we'll just leave it there. And none of us will be able to, neither of us will be able to use the footage without the other one's permission. And so it just sat there in like a vault in their offices in Secaucus, New Jersey from after they after they filmed it until until as you mentioned the dvd was made because so many other people tried to get this off the ground whether it was there's some crazy names in here uh frank marshall spike lee even danny devito at one point tried to get this thing off the ground and no one could even get a meeting with mj until 2016 (laughs) like that's incredible and you know what happened in 2016 right Oh, we do. Just happens to be the year LeBron came back and from 3-1 down and won the championship. And and there were a lot of people, a lot of people that we know, mm-hmm. a lot of people on the internet that were saying, oh, LeBron is the greatest of all time now. This, this puts him number one on the list. And you know, like, a competitive guy like MJ is just not, not enough. People, the people need to know. The people need to know. I mean, it's a great, like... I'm not going to call it a coincidence because I do think it has something to do with it. But remember, even LeBron, there was a video that came out last year in which LeBron said that he thought that chip was the thing that made him the greatest. Right? Do we remember that? LeBron, LeBron's on wax saying that. that. So it's very interesting that it happened at that year. But you mentioned OJ. And 2016, uh, the OJ documentary premiered in February of 2016 at Sundance. And... That was when, obviously, that was eight episodes in 450 minutes. So the guy who did this is uh, Mike Tolan. And he said at the time, so it premiered at Sundance, an OJ doc, and then Making a Murderer had just premiered on Netflix at 10 episodes. So people are now consuming long-form documentaries, multi-part documentaries. And so it was basically his thing. He took that under his wing trying to get his production company to get it done. And this is a guy who was behind things like Arliss, uh, Coach Carter, Varsity Blues, Smallville, One Tree Hill, which 
I got a soft spot for One Tree Hill. That's one of my shows from back in the day. Basketball and, and team of drama. Of course I'm in on that, right? Do you know who I am here? <laughs> right? But uh, so, <laughs> like my sweet spot. Exactly. So, and actually that, if I'm not mistaken, was filmed at Michael Jordan's high school, One Tree Hill, if I'm not mistaken. Like the, the basketball scenes. At Laney? I'm was it really? I'm pretty sure it was, if I, if I got my facts wow. correct. But yeah, my guy was able to finally get a meeting with MJ later on that year in June. And it wasn't even guaranteed to be a, a meeting. Like it was just kind of like Michael's, he has these two like power brokers around him. And they were kind of like, yeah, just come hang out with us. He's going to be here because the draft's going on. So hopefully he can get some time and make the pitch to him. And part of my guy's pitch was he had a, he had this like lookbook type of thing, right? Like a, a booklet yeah. basically advertising himself to Mike. And on the first page, he wrote a oh, letter. Oh, with the uh, credit. Exactly. And, and with the credits but, at the back the of the book. the first thing, though, was the first thing was a letter he wrote to him. And it said, Dear Michael, everyday kids come into my office wearing your shoes who've never seen you play it's time so obviously that's something that would hit mike but then at the very end i know you'll appreciate this webby and i know you know the story yeah. but i just want to see I you smile yeah. anyways so he says at the very end the last page was basically like showing his credits and so it's showing like all the things that his production company had done at Mandalay Sports Media. And so there's a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, there's Hank Aaron, there's Varsity Blues, Coach Carter and so forth. And MJ's like actually looking through this with like his reading glasses on. And then he's actually looking at them and the bottom right corner is Iverson. And MJ kind of looks up and he's like, you did that? And Tolan didn't know how to answer so he kind of like froze on the spot because this is like his chance, right? And he's like, oh shit. And Tolan wondered if he'd like messed up and, and, and he's like mumbles like, uh, yeah, I did that. And Jordan took his glasses off, looked up and said, I watched that thing three times. Made me cry. I love that little guy. <laughs> then he got, walked around his desk, extended his hand and said, let's do this. So basically the Allen Iverson doc got us to this point right here. Yeah, as a yeah, Philly fan, exactly. how does that make you feel? You know, just it made me feel great. I mean, I just love the story, and I love that Jordan loves Iverson as much as we do. Exactly, like game recognized game, game right? Webby. You, you cut to the core of me, Webby. Game recognized game, right? So we get to, we it. get to this point where everyone is so excited about this. The doc is finally here. There's so much talk because we're in Canada. But obviously we know there's people that watch and listen that are from the States. But so for people who don't know, in Canada, we don't have ESPN. So the doc wasn't on ESPN in Canada. The doc was on Netflix, but it wouldn't, no, well, wouldn't come out Netflix, until 3 a.m. Netflix paid that money. Yeah, so it's a co-production with Netflix and ESPN. So Netflix has the international rights. ESPN has the American rights. So in Canada, it wasn't coming out on Netflix until 3 in the 3 a.m. in Canada is was the timing. So that left a lot of people unless, in a conundrum, right? Unless you could get around it. For sure. And obviously, you know, people who follow this podcast know that I got to tiptoe a little bit here because there's political connects. Yeah, yeah. But I will quote one of our friends who I know you saw this tweet because you liked it too. And it said, <laughs> it said, it said, media members, quote, you should never illegally pay for stream, or sorry, you should never illegally stream things. It costs good people jobs. Pay for content. Also, media members, 
well, I have to illegally stream this because I don't have, I don't, if I don't, others will live tweet about it before I can. I just thought that was the perfect thing to sum up what was going on exactly. last day. And I'm going to be honest here. Of course I streamed it. Like, let's, let's be serious for a second here, right? It's not like this thing was on TSN or some other, like, normal cable service that we get. Netflix is a paid subscription service. Why would you assume that everybody has Netflix? I know that we do assume that in 2020, but that's not everybody necessarily the case. Everybody does have Netflix, but follow me for a second, though. It's not like you can expect that people aren't going to just go find it when... Go find it or pay an extra whatever on top of whatever you're already paying for your cable services. Like you can't, that's not a realistic expectation to me that you think people are going to be out here holding on to in 2020 when you can find anything in a simple click of a button. Like I get the greater cause here. Yeah. We're talking about Netflix. Like it's not TSN. It's not Sportsnet. We're talking about Netflix. Of course you're going to, you're going to stream that shit illegally. Why wouldn't you? It's not coming on TSN or Sportsnet. And, and and it became such a debate no. today that I didn't really understand because I'm like, you're streaming it or watching it on Netflix. What's the difference? Am I wrong here? Am I missing something? Well, what, We're not taking anyone's job by streaming something that's on Netflix. No, what's funny was I was like, you know, I why I, what I couldn't understand is why it wasn't on TSN if, TSN has the rights to ESPN films, da da da. But that's why Netflix ponied up the money. You know, Netflix has that what is the, the FU money or the FME money that they can totally price out TSN and Sportsnet, even if they wanted to combine their revenues to show this. So, hey, yeah, exactly. Listen, it doesn't matter to me. I wasn't going to wait till three a.m. if this thing was streaming live and it's about Michael Jordan. I'm going to be watching it. I'm going to yeah. find a way. Like, there's no way that we're all sitting here. Like, uh, I was trying to think of if I didn't stream it, imagine sitting down and and me waiting from 9 o'clock until 3 a.m. That's legit six hours <laughs> waiting to watch yeah. this thing. Because it's not like I would have been, like, we're children of the Michael Jordan generation. I'm not sitting around yeah. and waiting till 3 a.m. to watch it on Netflix. I'm sorry. That's just not a thing. And you know what it made me think of? It made Plus, me think then of... I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't even be able to pick up my phone and check Twitter because I would have most of the people that I follow tweeting about Michael Jordan documentary and spoiling for me. I'm not having that. Which is also part of the fun of consuming media in 2020, right? The shared experience that we get yeah. to have with all these other people. That's part of the game. That's part of the experience. But you know what it made me think of? There's a Chris Rock bit where he's talking about drugs and why like drugs and alcohol should all be legal, which obviously alcohol is, but his his whole bit is right. about how, you know, at one time alcohol was illegal, alcohol was drugs, and they made it legal, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, the reason why they keep they're gonna keep making certain drugs legal is because they can't keep up. And every time you keep continue to make something else illegal and turn that legal, there's some dude in his basement that's figuring out a new way to get fucked up. So as much as yeah, you try yeah, to exactly. stop people from getting their fix, there's going to be some dude in his basement trying to figure out a new way to get fucked up. And for a lot of us, 100%. a lot of us, it almost felt like yesterday was, was it, what was the term? The cocaine circus? <laughs> what was, what was the term? The, the, the Chicago Bulls cocaine traveling circus. Yes, right? Where we were all Tyrone Biggums waiting for this documentary to start. I need the fix. I need my fix, man. Needed the fix. 
So I can't lie to you. And now I got to wait another week for the Rodman episode, which is Sunday. Sunday's the Rodman episode. The first one is like, you know, that's going to be Fuego fire, but okay, let's get to the fire of (laughs) what happened last night. Right? So it's first off to start this doc with Puffy and Mace being around the world was like a peek into my life in 97, 98. Like it was a window into my childhood Go on, go on. So I wanted to get into this. I also, <laughs> the musical cues were fantastic. The okay. LL when he's torching the Celtics was amazing. But my whole thing was that Jordan was ne- never a hip-hop guy. Never. There's quotes out there Ever. of him dissing hip-hop. And it's so strange to me that this 10-episode documentary series, now obviously, like, the info I get that the influences are the same, but shouldn't it all be like Anita Baker songs and like, <laughs> you know, like, like I, I, I love it too. Like, yeah, give me the Biggie and the Mace, give me the LL, give me. Well, here's like, the- uh, they had more Biggie later in the episode, but I was like, hmm, for a documentary about a guy who hated hip hop so much, this is a little strange. Did you see that story Nori told? Noriego is on. Either Noriega was on someone's podcast or someone was on Noriega's podcast, but he was telling a story of one all-star weekend and it was an MJ party maybe, or some all-star weekend party and red and meth are there. And someone goes, the Noriega's like, yeah, red and meth are there. And someone leans over to MJ and they're like, Hey man, red and meth are here. They want to meet you. And he goes, fuck hip hop. And Nori's like, Nori was so stunned. He's like, I heard the motherfucker say it too. Like, this is not a story. He's like, this is not a story. Somebody told me I watched the motherfucker say that. Fuck hip hop. Fuck rap. <laughs> and the way that Nori says it's funny. I, is so good. That he didn't even care. See, it's funny. I wonder what MJ's reaction is to those songs in his documentary. Right? True. Very true. Very true. It's so funny. But, so we get this this montage of Puffy and Mace being around the world, and you're introducing the all the characters. It's good to see, you know, Steve Kerr even, and Mike and Scotty and Phil and Dennis. And we get to this scene of the kid in the middle of the road. Like, so basically, I wrote down a bunch of notes. I'm just going to stop yeah. with random scenes and stuff, and we'll just yeah. bust some checks. Yeah. So the little kid who stops in the middle of traffic gets off the bus by the Corvette yes, and walks over to the Corvette to get Mike's autograph in the middle of traffic. It's like, where are your parents? Like, how did your parents let you do that? Like, I get that it's Mike, but it's literally in the middle of traffic. <laughs> like, it's good parent. Like, do you know how much that, do you know how much that's going to be worth? Like they were, they were thinking ahead. But this is in the pre cell phone era where at least like now I could understand it because clearly the parents would pull out their phone and be filming this happening. Right. But right. this is before then, but I still thought that was pretty funny. They wouldn't have clay. They wouldn't have clay Thompson's uncle there. To film it. <laughs> right. So the other part of episode one that was so big was, as we mentioned, setting the scene of what's going on. So the Bulls are just one. They do a lot to show the Bulls after they win their fifth title. And there's a lot of talk, like, on the podium after winning their fifth title already about what's going to happen next year. Is Scotty going to be back? Yeah. Is Phil going to be back? Is Mike going to be back? And tell me if you had the same reaction I did. I just couldn't believe... 
I couldn't believe that it's right after the championship. You've just won five, and there's a question about whether or not you're going to bring everyone back to try to go for six. That was so weird to me. What, what did you so think while watching this that? Is, well, I, and I tweeted this last night as I was watching it, especially during this first bit, mm-hmm. was that I, I'm old enough to remember those championships and the scene around the Bulls, because I was a huge Jordan fan sure. when that happened. And I was, but I was young enough to not really know what a general manager did. <laughs> yes. And all, you know, I've watched SportsCenter religiously, mm-hmm. you know, read the paper about what was happening with the Bulls religiously. And it's like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we're going to break it up. We're going to, uh, you know, um, we're, we're going to rebuild. Like the whole thing was that these guys were old. They weren't going to be able to do it. And it was the organization first rather than Jordan first. And as a, geez, I was like 12, mm-hmm. as a 12-year-old, almost 13, I was like, well, this general manager, like, why is he just screwing with Michael Jordan? Like, he has yeah. the best thing in the world. Yeah. Why are you overthinking it? It's like, imagine that Michael Jordan would have to say, you know, we're entitled to keep this thing going until we lose it. And then says, like, the Cubs at the point. He's like, the Cubs have been rebuilding for 42 years. I think that's what he said. Great. Great line. Great line. So good, my Mike. But at the end of the day, it was just so weird to see that happen. And, you know, think of it in context of where sports is now. Like, can you imagine LeBron having to, like, beg to keep the team together? It happened. It happened. What do you mean? This same thing happened. Uh, what, like nine years ago? LeBron begging? With the Dallas Mavericks. Oh, I see. Yeah, but it's not Mike. The Mavericks. No, no, no. The Mavericks beat the Heat in six games? Five games? I got you. I got you. And they didn't didn't run it back. They were the world champions. Oh, you're talking about the Mavs. They let let Chandler walk. They they didn't run it back. And that's just one. And that was ridiculous to us. I thought you meant this was. I thought you meant the the. I thought you meant the heat for a second there, and I was like, oh, but I thought you were talking about like if because if they had lost the second year, which they almost did to the yeah. Celtics in the playoffs, right? That might have been blow up time for that squad. But I mean, just in terms of Bosch was probably getting traded for sure, right? But I know what you're saying. It, it's but it's, I mean that that Mavs team was good, and they had a good new. They had Jason Kidd. And they, mm-hmm. they had all the right pieces together. They weren't like obviously not even close to Michael and Scotty and Rodman. But yeah, it was a championship squad that they did not retain for the next year. Yeah, it was super weird. But we get introduced to this Jerry Krause character, and like again, much like you, I remember. Like I'm old enough to remember Jerry Krause, obviously, but to remember the intricate details of what was going on at the time. But the first thing that came up that I thought was super hilarious was the fact that my guy was a baseball scout. And then when Reinsdorf yeah, bought for the White Sox, the White Sox. The White Sox who, who like what kind of success? <laughs> like, I guess he maybe had scouted Frank Thomas. Yeah. I don't know. But Black at the Jack time, McDowell, like, Black but other Jack than McDowell, that, that's a solid reference. You like that, that was one. My, yo, that was my <laughs> guy back in the day. Yeah, that was my guy. It's an old yeah, one. That's a good one. That's a good one. I remember playing uh, what we call Burby, which I know people call wall ball, yeah. depending on where you're from. But yeah, we, or red ass. No, no, no. Baseball, but against the wall with the box or box ball. Is that what people call it? Oh, okay, 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 okay. Right? Like, yeah. I know it's the box all, ball. It's, box it's ball. all dependent to where people are from, but for us, we called it Burby. And, 
we would always like mess around and try different pitchers windups and blackjack McDowell was always one of mine that I would, I'd pull out every once in a while as a joke. But so Krause basically just asked to be the GM of the bulls. That's how it, it played out in the dock anyways. And he ends up getting the job, but we get introduced to the fact that he really doesn't get along with MJ Scotty or Phil which seems so ridiculous in 2020 professional sports that that's even a possibility. But back then it was. And then we get all these clips of MJ just like ripping into him, but it all leads or seems to stem from Kraus after that championship, doing an interview in which he says organizations win titles, not players. Even though he said he was misquoted, the point still remains what you were trying to say. I was going to say, he like he was like, oh, well, they totally left out a word, but <laughs> even with that word in, I mean, it was, he was still saying the same I, thing. I, he was saying that the organization was above the player. Like, I couldn't help but think, like, yeah, my dude, don't get me wrong. You made some trades. You brought in some good players. But, yo, you got MJ. Just chill out <laughs> and enjoy the ride. Enjoy the run. Now, you do have to be impressed with what he did, especially after Jordan came back. I mean, putting sure. that team together, because you forget that Robin was really, really late in his career on those teams. And then to get the Steve Kerr, mm-hmm. and I think it was, uh, it wasn't, yeah, was it Wennington at that time? But I'm saying even to get Kukoc at the time, like there's a lot of stuff that he did. And even with the first go round, right? He the was trade to executive get of the year. I mean, yeah, the trade to get Scotty, he got Horace Grant. Yeah. He traded Oak for Bill Cartwright. Like he made the right moves. Like I'm, they I'm not denying to do that. that. I'm not denying that. He made the right moves. But you can't be battling with MJ like that. But it gives you the kind of. It gave you the defense, I guess, MJ would have when they started playing the clips of MJ just ripping into my guy, which, like, one of the early ones, they show my guy at practice, and MJ MJ looks at him, and he's like, oh, how are those diet pills treating you? They seem to be not working too well as they're making you shorter. Thank <laughs> like, you. No, I, my, my oh, favorite was one on, later man. when they're in the tunnel, and he's like, Oh, Jerry, you want to come out and uh, run layup line with us? <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, you're going to have to lower the rims then. <laughs> <laughs> so I was watching because SportsCenter came on right after the dock, and uh, Scott Van Pelt had Jackie Mack on. And Jackie McMullen was telling oh. the stories from back in the day of them just, like, being relentless. She said that they used to call my guy Crumbs. <laughs> Because he'd, oh, yeah. he'd, yeah, he'd always have shit spilling on his shirt. And they would call him crumbs. And I'm just like, yo, the level of disrespect that my guy was facing. I'm and then, like, whoa, man. You want to talk about disrespect? They get into it a little bit as well with the Tim Floyd thing. Tim Floyd was a coach at Iowa State. Mm-hmm. And I guess he and Jerry Krause got to be very chummy. There was stories all throughout the media that he was going to be the next coach of the bulls. He goes fishing with Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause gets married. He invites the entire bulls staff team, everything except Phil Jackson. (laughs) And instead invites Tim Floyd and guess who the coach was like, this is how opaque or, or or how transparent, like what Jerry uh, Krause was trying to do. That of course the next coach of the Bulls was Tim Floyd, and he lasted what 
a year or two. But was Tim Floyd like, it's not like Tim Floyd was Coach K. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like he was a juggernaut yeah. at Iowa State. Like, that's a part that was so weird to me, right? Like, it's not like my guy was put, even Patino, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you can understand the world where Patino gets gassed or Calipari gets gassed. But, like, Tim Floyd? Like, yeah. Iowa State was never that squad that you're gassing them that much. That this I mean, that guy? was even before. They were when they had, they, they were when they had former Bull. Marcus Pfizer, that. That, that was later. That was later. <laughs> but imagine that. Imagine MJ. MJ's like, well, first off, he made it clear the only coach he's playing for is Phil Jackson. So Tim Floyd, he definitely wasn't taking that dude seriously, right? But you're right. At this point, you just see the levels of disrespect. Phil doesn't have a contract. He ends up just signing for the one year after meeting with Reinsdorf. Like, Kraus couldn't even meet with Phil to get the deal but phil even says he was told after that this will be your last season and i thought that was just like incredible to see the turmoil that these guys were heading into the season with and that's before we even find out about the scotty stuff which you know we find out i'm, I'm laughing because i just saw the word beret in my notes <laughs> <laughs> this is the part where they introduced that they started the season. Their preseason sked included a tournament in Paris. And MJ yeah. brought out all the swag. My guy was rocking the berets. <laughs> he had he had all the swag for the trip to Paris with the Bulls. And it's Oh, like, the uh the before he goes on the TV show and the guy asks him for the autograph. <laughs> just well, first of all, the look that MJ gives him before the guy's like, uh, no, get out of here. But then number two is the suit that MJ oh, is wearing for for that TV interview is like from the classic MJ suit collection. I mean, that is so, one of the all timers. And you mentioned Twitter earlier. Twitter was just amazing to watch the show with, but someone was trying to break down uh, MJ's fits and they were like wait a second like early on when they go back to his high school and college days like my guy looks like he's all right and they so the conclusion they came to was his moms must have been buying his clothes for him early on <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> right? and so his fits were all right early on but then after a while yeah when, on the course man he was looking on the course he had the great golf fit but he starts he starts buying his own fits but at that point he's too big time so no one around him is going to be like yo man you can't no one's going to say no you can't rock that. <laughs> He's too big time by that point. I thought that was funny, but the Paris trip was in, was pretty funny because it's they're playing against all these like Euro League teams. There's no Scotty. There's no Rodman, and MJ's still out here killing it. And again, yeah. there's going to be a lot of moments where I do this, where I I try to picture that in the context of what goes on in 2020. But we talk about load management right now. And MJ's out here giving these EuroLeague squads like 35 a night in preseason. <laughs> I'm like, what is, like, this guy is incredible. That's the stuff where I'm like, the GOAT. That's where the GOAT stuff comes from. There's no nights off. Anybody yeah. can get the work. Now, that's a great point. Because not only does he go out and absolutely annihilate this Euro team, but, and like, but afterwards, he's so flippant. With the, the the winning the championship, he's like, "Oh, Phil, you you can even give that one to Jerry." 
and he's on the bench, and the guy's like, "Oh man, I finally won a game!" Like he must have knew the Bulls, and he's like, eh, "This one doesn't count." That doesn't count. But like it, it, to him, it doesn't count, and yet he still gives this Euro team buckets all game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's awesome. It, it was awesome to see. And they do such a good job. Like, you get the bit of the behind-the-scenes footage, but then we get some of the, the shit where they go back to what the Bulls were like pre-MJ. And it's something that's not really talked about that much because I didn't really know much about it. But Reinsdorf was talking about how the Bulls used to get outdrawn by the indoor soccer team by the sting. in Chicago. The Chicago Sting. And it makes sense. Yeah, the when Bulls, you think of they were on the they were on the they were on the verge of collapse. Yeah, like they were they were drawing anybody. And when you think of you know just how big the Bears were, obviously you think of how big the Cubs were. Like it makes sense to think about it in that sense. But when you compare it to an indoor soccer league team, it's like wow, that is super weird. But. I love this part of the doc because we got introduced to this trick that I'm sure you're going to see in documentaries to come over and over and over again. Because the thing is... This is the best part of this documentary. Because you're dealing with MJ here, right? And you're trying to get a lot of emotions out of him. You're trying to get real-time reactions from him. And what this guy does is genius. What the director does is genius. He hands him an iPad to watch a video of MJ's mom who... By the way, looks to be the same age as MJ at this point. Like yeah, MJ okay. almost looks older than his. So guys. funny. Has that same thing that MJ does of kind of like talking up here, like out of the side mm-hmm. of the mouth up here. Yeah. I was like, oh, MJ, does, oh, you can totally see the similarities. Oh yeah, it's totally awesome. But th- so the clip is MJ sending. It's his mom reading a letter that MJ sent her when he was at uh, UNC. And first off, awesome trick. You could tell it hit MJ, got him in all the feels. He's like asking for her to like send him money. He's telling her that he's okay. Things are going all right. But you could tell that he was like, it had him in all the feels. So what was great about that whole letter that he wrote to his mom is that if you've ever been away from your parents at university or anything, that's something that every kid has written, whether it's through a letter or an email or left a message with their mom. That's why it was so cool to see. It's like, mom, I need some money. Uh, here's my account number. Uh, if you can help me out, that'd be great. <laughs> it is so cool because it humanized MJ, right? And I don't know how many human moments as fans we've gotten to see Michael Jordan have all these years, right? Like it was so cool in that sense to see him because to me, the the cool part about it was he's like the superhero type character. And in that moment where you're just a kid talking to your moms, asking for help, like that was really cool to see, but also cool to see was all those highlights of him in college and hear Roy Williams talk about just how he came into UNC wanting to be the best player ever. And, you know, Roy Williams kind of explaining to him, like, yo, dude, you got to, like, if that's what you want, like, you got to work for it. I thought that was really, really cool. Do you know what I mean? And and he kind of (laughs) said, I like James Worthy steps up and he says, I was better than he was (laughs) for about two weeks. (laughs) For like two weeks. That's incredible. But yeah, seeing, I'll never get tired of seeing the championship game 
right? Jordan hitting the shot in college, but to, to get yeah. the backstory of like being in the huddle and Dean Smith basically drawing up this play for Mike, like swing it and Mike's going to be open. I thought that was really cool. And and the fact of he's not, or the, the transition from being Mike Jordan to Michael Jordan, as he so eloquently put it, but seeing that moment develop where, oh, they were giving it to him because they knew that he could hit that shot, but there was no way the other team was expecting him to take that shot. That aspect of it was like a nice little twist that I wasn't expecting that. That was really cool. Just another angle of this story that we've all seen and watched so many times over, right? Yeah, and just how that shot and that win gave him the confidence and really propelled him to like greater heights as he became a sophomore and a junior. And those were the clips that kind of blew me away were those like utter dominance of the ACC as he's just on fast breaks and splitting two defenders and just crazy finishes at the rim. Like, uh, I mean, we're going to get into the draft soon, but I mean, there's that one crazy block. Well, there's that one crazy block where my guy, like, Oh, you know, hits his head on the backboard, like on the backboard. Remember, and we were working together at the score. The only other time that I've seen that is Blake Griffin. Yes. Yes. It was insane. Absolutely insane. And as you mentioned, you get to the draft, MJ's third overall and same thing. We still are, are trying to like find ourselves in that world where he's not MJ yet. Right. Where, you know, people still don't really argue Hakeem being taken ahead of him, but obviously Sam Bowie, has become this sort of like, you know, historical figure as a guy taking ahead of MJ. But one of the best or most memorable scenes of episode one is MJ talking about, obviously my guy did his research, the director did his research, and has a story of, or has insight into, let's just say the extracurriculars that the early MJ Bulls teams were up to. And... (laughs) Described it as the Bulls traveling cocaine circus. Is that what it was? I mean, the traveling cocaine circus. The NBA, man. At at the time in the NBA, they weren't the only team that was like that. I mean, the early '80s, like late '70s teams, they were like they were. It was a big problem in the NBA. Yeah, massive problem in the NBA, and MJ just laughs, bursts out laughing hysterically, which was like one of the funniest things to see, and I kind of thought that he was laughing to buy time to kind of like duck the question, but then he goes in and tells his story of early years, and they're on the road somewhere, and he was walking into one of his teammates' rooms, knocks, and he hears them like, you know, shuffling around. It's like, who is it? And he says, it's MJ. Oh no, there's somebody at the door. Yeah, they're all like nervous, but MJ, they end up letting him in. And it's just like he says, like, there's drugs everywhere, girls everywhere. And he's kind of like, oh, uh, I'm out of here. And he kind of just left. And we had an interaction last night on Twitter where I was kind of like, is that really how it went down? Like, do we really think that's how it went down? And who knows? I don't know. I wasn't there. But. I believed it a lot more after they had the other teammate who was in, because there's only one other teammate from those early days that was in the dock that yeah. kind of corroborated saying that MJ wasn't really down with that in the early days. He wasn't really around. He was on his own as a rookie. Um, and you alluded to something just talking about him being like such a young, shy kid 
that you could totally see that happening, right? Absolutely. And, and he had that, like, those blinders on, you know, of what he had learned in university. Oh, I got to be the person. Who, and he says it in the documentary. He's like, I showed up there. I found out who the leader was. And I was like, I'm going to be better than that guy. And you don't do that if like, you're going to be in the circus or, <laughs> you know, partying in that room, right? It's like, true. And you're right. I mean, he's what, at that time, like 21, 20? And, yeah. uh, and, and just like not, you know, he's, he's very much like, you know, coming from a strict household like he did. Like he's kind of a mama's boy. They said that his mom was there in the apartment with him all the time. So, yeah, I, I didn't get that vibe that he was out there uh, going nuts uh, with the circus, as we'll call it. And this is when Barack, another key moment in this that went viral. Former Chicago resident. President Barack Obama. But in this Jordan doc, he's keyed as former Chicago resident, which like the Internet sometimes I think doesn't realize when it's being trolled. Do you know what I mean? Like the Internet's clearly being trolled and they're not realizing it. Didn't we have a producer who told us that you never key the president and you never key Wayne Gretzky? Yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> was, that was that Glennie Mack or something that told us that? It might have been. It might have been. I don't remember who, but it might. It definitely might have been. Two people you don't key, the prime minister. Yeah, the prime minister and Wayne Gretzky. I think I do remember something to that effect. Then all of this kind of leads into the second episode because the way that the first one ends is the ring ceremony happens. Scotty gets super emotional because he's out with an injury. He's recovering from surgery. And then Scotty's kind of in tears and kind of gives like an emotional reception, which leads us into episode two, which is the backstory of Scotty Pippen, who, you know, comes from like, I mean, small town Arkansas to say the least. You get that whole backstory to really give you an idea to explain how he ends up in a situation where he signs that terrible contract that's like, what was it, eight years or seven years for 18 mil? And Scotty is, what, the sixth highest paid player on the Bulls. Luke Luke Longley makes more money than him. He's the 122nd highest paid player in the NBA. And my guy's cheesed. So it comes to the summertime, he needs to get surgery, and he said he didn't want to fuck up his summer, so he doesn't have the surgery until the start of the season. And the Bulls are not happy about this. No one on the Bulls are happy. Do you agree with Scotty's decision, or are you kind of like, nah, that's kind of selfish? On Scotty's part, I, listen, at that point, he, he'd, been, he'd been in the league now for almost 10 years. I think that uh, for Reinsdorf to go on the record and say that he told Scotty not to sign that contract, first of all, I think that's BS. <laughs> and then for him to have the, uh, I, I think for him to have the um, kind of rule of not being able to restructure his contract, I think when you have the second best player in the NBA, somebody that the best player in the NBA loves playing with, and is so, you know what, like responsible for the success of your organization. I think you can like hold that rule and help this guy out. Cause yeah. obviously, like you said, that first contract that he signed, he had two people, his dad and his brother 
who are in wheelchairs in a family of 12 in Arkansas. Like, obviously, getting that money as soon as he could to help out his family, that, should, that shouldn't be seen as a negative towards Scottie Pippen. That should be seen as a positive. As the owner of that team, you should want to help him out by restructuring that deal. Now, the other thing is, is that we should not be rolling a tear for Scottie Pippen, who made over $100 million in his playing days. Yeah, what was his stat? I think it came out, the numbers came out, that he actually made more money in his NBA career than Michael Jordan did. Like, just from his NBA yeah. contracts. Right? So, and that's with Mike making, like, 36 in his, in that same season, Scotty's making, like, two. Yeah. MJ's making 36. Yeah. But, yeah, so definitely. It was an interesting situation. But in terms of the team, to me, it was interesting to see MJ come out and also think that Scotty was being selfish and he didn't like the move that Scotty was rehabbing his his injury at the start of the season and the Bulls got off to like a four and four start um and they're just not off to a good start at all without Scotty then we get to the point where I don't I didn't remember this Scotty actually demanding a trade before he even came back to play I don't even remember that part. Him demanding the trade with MJ. Like, imagine being on a team with Michael Jordan and you demanding a trade out. Like, that seems so yeah. weird. No? No, the weirdest, the weirder part was that it didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, like, I, that's another thing that I remember. It's like, it was, it was going to happen. He had requested mm -hmm. a trade. It was just, what are the Bulls going to get back? Is it going to be Sean Kemp? Is it going to be a bunch of pieces, a bunch of draft picks for the next year? Like, I, apparently, one of the deals that, I mean, when I was super young, I didn't know about, was that mm. he almost traded to the Raptors for Tracy McGrady. Imagine that, right? Imagine that. I mean, I bet you he gets traded to the Raptors and holds out, so he never actually plays for the Raptors. That kind of seemed to be a right. theme back then. <laughs> but yeah. uh, still, that would have been super interesting to see. And, you know, if you think about where Scotty was at the time, uh, they showed the stat yesterday on ESPN, the 122nd highest paid player in the NBA right now is Andre Roberson. <laughs> so imagine that. <laughs> That's so fucked up, right? So you, you kind of get where Scotty's coming from, but it seemed like all everyone else involved, MJ, Phil, Steve Kerr, they all kind of gave in and said that Scotty took things too far, right? Like he was berating Krause like in front of everyone, belittling him so bad, taking it way overboard. And then when you add that to him also sitting out with an injury beforehand and a surgery he could have had in the offseason, I think that's a bad look for Scotty Pippen, no? No, I agree with you. Uh, it definitely doesn't come off great. You know, Jordan's... Uh, rapport with Jerry Krause is definitely insulting, but at least he's kind of like, yeah, making a bit of a joke about it being like, but that stuff in the bus, it sounded like it was really mean and didn't just yeah. happen once happened multiple times. But, uh, but the thing is, is that I don't think that he came off that bad. I really right. don't because we, first of all, we've seen many players Shaquille O'Neal included. Um, what is it? I'm not going to rehab. I'm going to rehab on company time. On company like, time. That's, I got that's hurt on company time. That I'm going to rehab on company time. <laughs> exactly. So I'm sure Scotty like that had the same kind of reaction to what he was going through. 
uh, I think that it's Scotty's agent that really takes the brunt of uh, not being great in this in this show. Like to you know to not be able to come through for your client on multiple occasions. Uh, definitely, he should have gone with a different representation, as we might say. <laughs> yes. So I think really the the reason I'm left with that was because I was thinking of it like just how the cliffhanger ended. The cliffhanger had me feeling like, ooh, Scotty, you don't look good at all. You're demanding to be traded away <laughs> from MJ. All your teammates are saying you're way too harsh on Kraus, and like you're basically quitting on your squad, right? Like none of this is a good look for you as Scotty Pippen. But as you mentioned, hey, you know, it was still super interesting times and crazy times but i also think for me that end part of this episode that was really cool was going into the young mj and talking about you know in his second season when he gets hurt and kind of just how that whole thing went down how he was injured and the minutes restriction what did you make of of mj just arguing back and forth with uh, Reinsdorf essentially about what should happen yeah. with him being injured. What did you make of that whole back and forth? Well, it's, it's something that can never happen now in the age day and age that we live in because I mean, back then in the was it 85, 86 season, he hurts himself and then goes down to North Carolina where they think that, you know, he's going to take some classes, you know, maybe rehab a bit, get in the pool. He's playing five on five with the team. It's like that could never happen nowadays because there would be, you know, video of it, Instagrams of him playing. The team would probably send, you know, 10 people to go with him. But back then it was a little more laissez-faire. It was a little more, you know, do what you want. And so they didn't find out that he had been playing five on five for, what did they say, three hours every day until he came back. And they were like, oh, what? So I thought that was pretty good. And then the other thing that I liked was the uh, after that game against the Pacers where they they ended up winning to make the playoffs, um, the coach at the time, I forget what his name was, um, but he had, you know, they made the playoffs. Everybody's super happy. You can see in the viz how pumped Jordan is that Paxson made that shot and everybody's hugging. And then the story goes, they go into the locker room and shut and lock the door. So, Jerry Krause couldn't get in there. It's like, it's like the generations of Chicago Bulls teams that just didn't like Jerry Krause, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, that's a full decade before this Scottie Pippen thing is going on. And yet the same shit was happening in 86, right? So we're going from 97 to 86 and not much has changed, but you can see the whole way why MJ is the way he is, because we get to this point where he's battling with the front office because all he cares about is coming back and winning and they're not on the same page at all. And they have that cool back and forth with Reinsdorf where Reinsdorf's trying to tell him, listen, the doctors are saying, yes, there's a 90% chance you'll be fine, but there's a 10% chance you'll get hurt. And he runs through that whole thing, right? Where he's like, if you had 10 pills and nine of them, would, you'd be fine. But one of them would kill you. Would you take the pill to fix your headache? And, and how bad the fucking headache. <laughs> so good. But it shows why Mike is Mike and all these things like intertwine. And it's such a great job of storytelling to give you the background as to why he hates Krause. It dates all the way back then, right? 
to when they're holding him out of games and it's not about winning. It shows why he's not on the side with Scotty, right? Because Scotty's not about winning. He's watching us lose and he knew that the team would be affected by him holding out and yet he still held out and it's not about winning at that point. So all these things make sense. And then of course, because as we mentioned, it's great storytelling. They show what happens after MJ goes from this ridiculous minutes restriction where he's allowed to play seven minutes per half. So 14 minutes total in a game, which is so dumb to all of a sudden they squeak into the playoffs by winning like 30 games, right? They're the crappy eight seed. They're the eight seed and they got to play the 86 Celtics, which are like up there with the 2017 Warriors the 96 Bulls is one of the best basketball teams of all time. Of all time, right? And so what does MJ do in this? My guy goes from being on a 14 minutes restriction. And then in his next two games, when the restrictions are off, my guy goes for 49 and then 63 against one of the greatest teams of all time. And it's just incredible. And the montage, the way that they cut it to the LL, like it was so dope how they did it. But my guy goes for plays around a golf with Danny Ainge <laughs> the day before. Yeah. I mean, tells, hey, tell DJ I got something for him tomorrow. That was amazing. The other thing was, was the story. Hold on, do you know what's Celtics crazy? Hold on, hold on. You know what's, you know that was crazy though, Webby? I was like, wait, you're telling him you got something for him now. You just gave him 49, right? It's like, <laughs> how crazy is that? Like, that's incredible. I love the Celtics telling the stories of like, how mad the guys were that they had to guard Jordan. Like Bill Walton was like incensed that he had to guard Jordan. The look on Rick Carlisle's face after he got lit up in game one. And then the other one was like that montage of the 63 point game where he puts the move on bird, where he goes like between the legs, dribbles, fade, and then just dropped it. All I could think of was Dino uh, editor at Sportsnet uh, and the guy who makes court cuts sitting watching that same clip of Jordan giving it to Bird between the legs, little shimmy, and then the fade right in his eye. And all I heard was Dino just yell out sex. That's it. <laughs> Incredible, man. It was so cool to see. But I don't think people really understand how good Larry Bird was. Or how big of a deal it is for Larry Bird to be out here saying that that wasn't Michael Jordan playing tonight. That was God disguised as Michael Jordan. Like people don't realize how big of a deal it is to have Larry Bird describe it like that. And I thought that was incredible. But then I saw on Twitter, and you get reminded of how dumb some kids are. But I saw a kid say that y'all out here gassing Larry Bird. But if Larry Bird played in today's game, he'd be Joe Ingles. And I was just like, come on, man. Like, what What are we like, doing? I was like, come on. I've never wanted to, what? like, slap someone through a computer screen what? so hard. Now, you could tell it's just a young LeBron fan trolling, right? But it was just like, I was like, come on, man. Like, what fuckery are we talking about right now? I never wanted to, like, backhand someone through a computer screen so hard. If Larry Bird is modern-day Joe Ingles, then what, like, Magic Johnson is modern-day I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 what I don't even know. Comp it's so, so ridiculous. That was the it's other. So ridiculous. That was the other quote that I really liked. Was MJ was was Magic going? Oh, we were watching MJ, and we knew he was coming. 
he just needed the horses. Yeah. Yeah. That, that quote was obviously like super dope to see and to hear magic, like pay his respects in that way. Of course that was super dope. Well, just that they, they had known, like it wasn't like magic and Larry saying, well, you know, Hey, we've got this league. Don't worry about it. Like who is this little, you know, young kid. It's like, no, no, no. They, as soon as they stepped on the court with MJ, they knew what they were dealing with. Yeah. It was cool to see. It was such a dope doc and how they round out that story too. Again, going back to just that killer instinct that Mike had and the explanation again, because it digs back into his youth and his childhood. And you see that, this killer instinct that like, I'm going to go out and like take other teams souls comes from his childhood. And the older brother comes out and he's like, yeah, we used to play. I used to play one-on-one against him all the time. And you know, I couldn't let him win. And if I did, that would mean we'd have to fight. And I was like waiting for my guy to laugh or chuckle. And it's like, no, like he wouldn't let his little brother win. And if he did win somehow, He'd beat him up. I was like, now, doesn't that explain why Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan? You see him coming of age, but he needs more horses. And then we give you the story of the horse that would come in terms of Scottie Pippen. It was just great storytelling. Left us on the cliffhanger of Scottie wanting to trade demand. And hey, we're into next Sunday, which is the Rodman episode. And I can't wait for that. I was super excited for that. I mean, you thought you thought uh, uh, Scotty's upbringing was tough, man. Rod, Rodman's is just like Central Arkansas University and Eastern Oklahoma University. Like that's what we're getting into with these guys. You realize the backstories of you know MJ getting cut in high school, Scotty being the manager of his team. It's such a like great story of just hard work, right? And like dudes that yeah. have physical gifts, of course but they bust their ass every step of the way. It was such a cool lesson in that terms. MJ doc episode one, we're going to try to do this every week where we break down just what went on in each and every uh, episode. And yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. That was a lot of fun. Uh, One other thing just before we go, I wanted to bring up because he's can't uh, wait for next week. Yeah. Can't wait for next week at all. Webby. And you know, one other thing I wanted to bring up just before we wrap up here was kind of these IG live battles that were going on. We were about to tape a little earlier tonight, but I was trying to watch the Teddy Riley versus Babyface, which like at least they kind of had the battle tonight before again Teddy <laughs> Riley I think messed it up. But they had like 500,000 people in there watching it at one point. And it was really good. Wow. It was like to go from one night MJ doc to the next night, an old school R and B jam had me in my like younger days, just in my feelings. It was so good. It's such a great flashback, but I want to actually go back to Saturday where the memes were just on fire as Teddy Riley completely just messed up the whole thing my guy tried to have a whole band he had a dj he had all that that messed it up but it just exemplified what the actual crowning achievement was of all these ig battles and that was rizza versus premiere webby i know you're a hip-hop head like i am and that was just a throwback to the era talk to me about that how much did you enjoy rizza versus dj premiere i I mean i i was tearing up I, it was just like jam after jam 
Now, I, the the crazy thing for me about the actual battle there was it seemed to me that, like, Primo threw the fight. Like, I love RZA, and, like, Wu-Tang beats are uh, all-timers. Like, especially when you get into some of the uh, solo stuff, like the, uh, the purple tape stuff with Raekwon and, and Ghostface and anything off of Liquid Swords is, like, right up my alley. But Primo has uh, decades decades of smashes that he can use against Riza, and it wasn't really until late i mean i was really happy because above the clouds is like such a huge huge tune for me growing up and when i heard him just kind of like oh, drop it a little bit and then came with it i was like we might have to give this whole thing to primo because that is one of my all-time favorite songs and the other great thing was it didn't matter who was going i knew all the lyrics like that's what I that's what I loved about it. It was awesome. It was so awesome and it was one of those things too to watch as a community. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody as a culture, everyone involved, yeah. everyone in hip hop at that time and you know, seeing the names and you're having the same reactions as like Diddy in the chat or Jadakiss or whoever, <laughs> yeah. name whatever yeah. celebrity. Everyone was just there jamming out yeah. and Everyone, I think the coolest part was the people who didn't know, I think thought Primo was going to wash Riza, And so it was kind of dope to give like people who don't know the actual history lesson. Yeah. Like, no, 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 rizza has got hits. And even though Primo won, I think Primo won. I think most people think Primo won, right? But it was still close. I, I don't know. I think I think Riza won. Oh, okay. Well, like, this is my point. I think it was I really close. Do. I think it was close. And people yeah, didn't it was very close. people it didn't was think close. that going in. But it was so good to hear so many classic songs. And anytime you like you hear Biggie and, and Primo, I'm just like, I mean, oh. I mean, right? Like anytime you or, heard that, you're just like, just all right. The three songs that he has on Illmatic or the four songs that he has on Illmatic. Those could have been just his four songs. That would have been fine. But like, well, you're right. Like the finding out that other people online, it's like, oh, it, apparently, uh, I'm not the only one who loves, uh, <laughs> who loves Guru's line. Lemonade was a popular drink, and it still is. Like everybody loves that. Oh, everybody enjoys that. Okay, I mentioned above the clouds already. Um, I was, uh, I was really, really pumped to hear uh, criminology is easily one of my all-time favorite songs of all time uh regardless like wu-tang or whatever um and then the other one was i had forgotten that run is a is a is a rizza beat and i mean that song was huge that's more universe that's later that's later but that is a that song is fuego 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 fire yeah like that song is fire it, it was so dope man and i mentioned primo and and obviously big but primo and jay obviously like just the way that he started with a million and one questions which is obviously one of my favorite songs ever but anytime you yeah. even hear jay like so ghetto is such an underrated jay track and then hold on after it was done these guys were still throwing out bangers it was so good man and cold world by jizza like that's a song that i absolutely love <laughs> you know so that i was I was, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm glad that like the youths uh, got to uh, really enjoy all the talent that RZA brings to like those Woo solo albums were like huge. They were huge. 
it was cool. It was so cool to see. It was an awesome time. And I know that, you know, we're here trying to just give and recap some of the fun things that's going on in these tough times, but it's cool to just see people just creating dope content, right? And obviously we're getting it from the extreme of two people on IG live to a crazy 10 part Michael Jordan doc, but still they're doing a great job just for the culture, giving us stuff that we're enjoying. And hopefully we can tap into that and give y'all some entertainment as well along the way. Now, just one more thing, one more thing, the IG live. What is your, if you got a fantasy book, an IG live battle, is it Dr. Dre and, and Diddy? Is that, or, or what else? Like, is there another one out there that you want to see? Just Blaze and Kanye? Like, I know Kanye would have so many hits and it'd be I good know. to see, but like I, Kanye would I, just make a mockery of all this now. And like, and he'd be wearing the MAGA hat. By the way, not a MAGA hat. Not a MAGA hat. <laughs> amazing well played webby well played no i hear you i think i i really want to see bad boy versus so so deaf and i think bad boy wins but so so deaf has enough hits that they could like make it a thing bad boy versus so so that above dre because dre dre washes most people right it'd probably be like who dre and what kanye dre and pharrell i think it would be dre and diddy Dre and Diddy. Oh, I just maybe Pharrell, maybe Pharrell and Just Blaze would be fair. Ooh, I don't right. So you're getting interesting. There's there's some ones that are out there for sure. There are ones, but I just hope that whoever comes next realizes this is something for the culture. This is something for everyone at home in a pandemic to sit around and enjoy. This is not supposed to be some money making venture like Teddy Riley literally messed up with on Saturday because he was trying to film two things at once. Right, he was yeah, trying to film two things at once, that's what he messed up. and he messed up the whole thing. So skip, keep, keep it fun, keep it jokes, keep doing it for the culture, and we'll try to do the same thing here, Mr. Andrew Webster. Where can the people find you if they want to hit you up on the socials, my dude? Well, listen, I'm only tweeting during the commercial breaks of uh, the Jordan documentary because I'm definitely illegally streaming. Uh, so you can uh, tweet me or check out my Instagram. I'm throwing up a. Uh, some delicious meals that I've been making on the Instagram. And so they're both the same at a Webster 84. And again, my name is Sheldon Alexander. You can find me on Twitter at Shell Alexander on Instagram at Sheldon Alexander and like, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google play, YouTube, like, and subscribe, tell your friends because we're here just trying to have some fun, make fun out of just, you know, these crazy times. So we'll be back next week to discuss Jordan Doc. And for my guy, Andrew Webster, my name is Sheldon Alexander. And I really did used to pray for times like this to rhyme like this. This is the On Blast podcast. As always, unpolished and unapologetic. Until next time. Peace. See ya. On Blast.